Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. We are so lucky and grateful to have Jason Rosoff here from Radical Candor. Welcome, Jason. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Why don't you start um, for us and just tell us a bit about your career journey and how you've gotten to this point of working with Radical Candor? Sure. Um, so, my career has been has not followed a, a straight path. I have done a lot of things over the course of the last 25 years or, or so, but I started out my degree. Um, I went to business school, undergraduate and graduate business school, uh, and my degree was in information systems. My first role out of uh, out of college was actually sort of in technology operations. I worked for a company um, that made photo books. So if you've ever opened up iPhoto and you click the like make a book button, we actually were the white label producer for Apple's photo books. Um, so that was my first job. I ran a press room uh, and all of the sort of like digital technology that transformed the stuff that we got from users into like printed paper that then went into the rest of the factory and got bound. So that was my that was my first role and my first management position. Um, I was I think about 26 when I got my first first team uh, and. Uh, I learned over my time there that the thing that I liked most was actually the making the human beings lives better. So like, so I would walk around the factory floor and I would like identify opportunities to either improve a process or a technology. And that could be everything from ergonomics to like making something easier, or more efficient to use. And I made a, a shift from sort of technology focus to human focus. And the way that I did that, the bridge was design. So I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to design software, um, this interface between humans and technology. Uh, I went on to work at a company called Fog Creek Software, which was started by a guy named Joel Spolsky. Um, he was very opinionated about both how to design software and how to run a company. Uh, and uh, I took on a role there that was sort of a business operations role. So over the course of the first couple of years, I did everything from sales to customer support to actual product management and then software design. So I got like a full tour of the entire business uh, and wound up running a, a team. We built a, a new product for them as well as I built features for their existing products. Uh, and then somewhere along there, I started volunteering for this very small, at that point, open source software project called the Khan Academy. Uh, and this was in, uh, 2009, 2010. Uh, and at some point after a couple of months of working on the project with, uh, my, uh, a coworker at, at Fog Creek named Ben, we got an email from Sal and Sal said, Hey, I'm like, I just met with Bill Gates and I'm, I have money. I'm going to start a company. Would, would you all like to come help me build Khan Academy? And so it was very sort of Saren like weirdly serendipitous thing. Um, but Ben and I were the sort of like first and second employees uh, at, 
uh, at Khan Academy, uh, I headed up the sort of product management and design, uh, and he headed up engineering. And the, the next seven years was sort of a, a whirlwind tour, but I helped to build Khan Academy, both the product and the company um, from, I think, you know, we were at around 10,000 monthly active users or something when I started. When I left, we were at something like uh, 12 million monthly active uh, users. Uh, and the company went from three or four of us to about 300 people over that same time period. And my role when I left, uh, I was actually, I had a dual role. I was chief people and chief product officer. Um, don't recommend that uh, if any, anybody else is... <laughs> Uh, I've done something similar. <laughs> it's like miserable, isn't it, to have two big roles like that? Uh, and and I got to a point where I felt like I had set uh, Khan Academy on a positive course, and I my rate of learning was sort of slowing down, or it wasn't slowing down so much as it was narrowing in focus. And and I just didn't feel like that was the right thing for me. I was like, I, I'm much happier. I. The good part about having two roles is that I got to like stretch my problem solving skills across a couple of domains. And that's what I really enjoyed the most. Um, but I was like, maybe starting my own company is a really great way to stretch my problem solving skills over multiple domains. Um, and so I took a step back from Khan Academy and I wasn't planning to do anything, but I kind of ran into Kim Scott, who wrote the book Radical Candor, um, because I loved her talk and I felt like she'd sort of, she'd written something that spoke to my soul, not just like the practical side of how to be effective manager, but the emotional side of the, both the, emo like the recognition of the emotional labor, as well as the power and positivity that comes from treating the people on your team as human beings and valuing people more, more fully. And it's something that I think, uh, resonated strongly with me and, when, when we met, we sort of had a meeting of the hearts and the minds. And, but I was like, ah, I'm so soon out of this other long-term relationship, but I'm not really sure what I want to do. But it was one of those things where I would, I, over the next six months, I was like setting up meetings with all kinds of other people and trying to learn like what I might do after this. But every week I sort of kept coming back to the radical candor idea. I just couldn't put it down. And then in November of 2017, we decided to start this company. Um, Kim is a writer and wants to be a writer. Uh, and so she said, look, the, the partnership is you protect, you protect me from having to worry about the, the business. Um, I will help you by, you know, helping you design, uh, and create content around radical candor. Um, and, but you, you're going to run the day-to-day -day operations. You're going to figure out how to scale, um, how to scale this business. And then five, almost five years later, you know, we've grown from about a million dollars in revenue to a multiple <laughs> uh, of that. Um, and we've worked with some of the biggest companies around the world, helping them build a culture of, of radical candor. Jason, this is a really fun career path that you've had. And I'm curious, can you tell us more about the radical candor idea itself and how you're applying it? Yeah. So one of the best parts about radical candor is like, when you build a company on the concept of radical candor, it's sort of like turtles all the way down. You know what I'm saying? It's like radical candor in the company, radical candor with your clients, radical candor in implementation. Um, and so it's one of the it's one of the moments in my career where I felt most integrated. Like I, I really feel like I sort of like live the values of radical candor, but the concept is really straightforward. The concept of radical candor is that 
in order to build great relationships and achieve great results collaboratively, you need to care personally about the people that you work with and be willing to challenge them directly. That's it. It's like one of those ideas where it's like so simple that you feel like it should be easy to implement, but it turns out that there are some challenges uh, in, in learning to implement it. And some of those are sort of systemic, but a lot of them are internal. Um, and I think one of the things I'm most grateful for about the role is that by being able to apply it on a regular basis with my own team, that actually makes me much better suited to help other people figure out how to apply it with their teams. Completely. That makes so much sense. I'll talk a little bit about how radical candor is related to thriving at work. I think, you know, the focus of this podcast is a lot about positive psychology and well-being and as it applies to work. So I'm really curious of how you all are thinking about radical candor and thriving at work. Yeah, I, I, I feel like if, if the pandemic taught us anything, it's that people really need to to be cared for as human beings at, at work. There it, it's sort of, there was no better way to sort of break the fourth wall of the like work, work life separate, the, 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 the false notion of work life separation than literally peering into one another's homes uh, as we tried to do, to, to do our, our work. And there's a kid running around in the background or like a dog is, you know, pulling something off the couch or whatever it is. And I, and I feel like the, in a lot of cases, part of what we were doing was helping people figure out how do you care for one another and still work to achieve results. Because I think the as much as the like it'd be fun to say, like, you know, love is all you need, and if we just care about each other, everything would be great. Like the reason why work works to some extent is it gives us a goal, like something to aim for, to work towards. And that's very satisfying for people. And so I think it was the combination for me of these things of saying part of caring about people in the context of work is challenging them to grow and challenging them to get better. That these two things, they're not, challenge isn't negative by in its essence. Like challenge can be very positive because having high expectations for someone is a form of challenging them, right? Saying, I believe you are capable of even more than you're doing today. That is a form of challenging someone, but it is also a way to support them. Um, and so from my perspective, there is in, we've seen lots of organizations that have an absence of radical candor, right? They're missing one dimension or the other, right? They're missing the care personally, or they're missing the challenge directly. And it's really hard for people to thrive in those environments. Like it's obviously hard for people to thrive when they don't feel cared for as a human being, but it's equally hard for them to thrive if they don't feel like they understand what they're doing or how to reach their next objective or how to be successful in the context of work. So the combination of those two things, I think really does help people feel more psychologically safe um, and I, I think there's another question coming up about this. So, um, and uh, more excited about the future of of the work that they would do with with one another and their team. I really love the the part that radical candor starts off with with caring about the other person because I can see just just the radical candor part might might not fly for everyone. But that leads me to my next question. When I when I teach my students, they come from 150 different countries. And some of those cultures are quite different. It really plays out uh, quite dramatically in teams, and which is sort of like a mini workplace. And I'm curious, how does the radical candor idea 
play out in other national countries besides the United States? And do you make any adjustments for that? Yeah, I, I don't think the United States is the most radically candid place on earth. So I'll start by saying that I, radical candor is is already an adjustment for a lot of people, even in the context of the United States. Um, and one of the so when I get this question, what I tend to think about is like, what parts of radical candor are universal and what parts need need to be ad necessarily need to be adapted? And so if you abstract the framework itself, care personally and challenge directly, you can abstract them all the way out to love and truth. And there isn't a culture on earth that doesn't value love or truth. Um, it's just how we express those things that might differ by culture. But it might also it might equally differ within a culture by your your family upbringing and your background and experience and so what i i think there are um there are a couple of things that we recommend that people do one of them is you don't you don't introduce radical candor like learning about radical candor without talking about it is not going to help you very much like you you need to have when you introduce the concept of radical candor it needs to be in the context of a conversation meaning how how does this apply to our context? So you take cult cultures that maybe have more clear uh, differences, so, sort of like um, Japanese culture versus uh, Israeli culture, right? <laughs> um, where you have like a high uh, deference to authority in Japanese culture, and you have a high value on directness in Israeli culture. Um, and those two things might seem diametrically opposed until you realize that there's still a value in being able to challenge, um, being able to challenge effectively in Japanese culture looks very different, but there's still, there's importance to it, that, that it, it plays an important part uh, of work culture, being able to challenge things. And showing that you care in the context of Israeli culture is still important. <laughs> so even though they have these sort of dimensions that get emphasized, there's still value in the other dimension. It's just that you might look at it slightly differently. So in the context of Israeli culture, for example, you might find that people are more likely to say, well, I think you being direct with me is a way that you show that you care about me. When you're indirect with me, it actually feels disrespectful. It feels like you're trying to sort of pull the wool over my eyes. Um, whereas in, in the Japanese example, you might encounter a team or a person who's more likely to say, I'd prefer you to be very discreet or indirect in the way that you deliver this information to me. Um, like that is going to make it easier for me to, to hear what you are saying, but I'm going to be more sensitive perhaps than my Israeli counterpart to listen in listening to what you are saying. Like I might be more willing to read between the lines than um, a person from, uh, from another culture. I love the universally accepted underlying constructs, right? I think that makes so much sense of the love and truth, right? <laughs> it's like, how can you but argue? What does love that? look like for you? And what yeah. does truth look like for you? Like, what is a way that we can express those things to completely, each other? Completely, yeah. completely. That is, that's wonderful. So let's talk about that idea of psychological safety that we were, yeah. you were alluding to a little while ago. So how, how does this concept of radical candor fit with psychological safety? And, and the outcome that we, I think, are hoping to really impact is and tr of trust. So how do, you, how do you all think about that? Yeah, I think one of the like pieces of good news here is that Amy Edmondson has, ha, ha, has expressed an opinion about this. And 
her opinion is that candor is at the heart of psychological safety. Um, the ability to give and receive, communicate candidly with the people that you work with is an absolutely essential ingredient to building trust and psychological safety. Um, and the, from my perspective, the, what radical candor brings um, is that it reminds people that candid doesn't mean harsh. <laughs> like, you, you, it, like you can be direct without being a jerk. <laughs> uh, and that I think is really helpful to a lot of people who are trying to figure out how to build more candor into their culture because they often sort of swing the pendulum too far in the direction of like, I'm going to be sort of like overtly harsh in the way that I deliver this to you in the name of candor, which is not what she's talking about. The other thing that because of the way we teach radical candor, um, especially the sort of like one-to-one -one relationship version of radical candor, uh, we talk about an order of operations and we say building a culture of candor, trust and safety starts with self-awareness, with soliciting feedback. A lot of people hear the term radical candor and they assume that the goal of radical candor is to, to learn to criticize other people more effectively. Well, that's step three or four for us on the, on the like how to build a culture of candor. It comes after soliciting feedback and offering praise, recognizing the good things that people are doing that are making them more effective. I love this. This is so interesting. I, I'm curious to go to go back to subgroups and industries. Uh, have you found that uh, your methodology is working better with certain groups or certain industries than others? And uh, are there any adjustments that you do make uh, for certain groups or industries? Yeah, I think there are. There's like a fundamental thing about radical candor that we it's based on some assumptions. One assumption that it's based on is uh, that the value of a growth mindset, the the belief that abilities are not fixed, that we that in fact one of the best things about humanity is that our mistakes are corrigible, um, and that's not that's not a belief that's held deeply everywhere, um, not yet anyway. To use the the growth mindset version of that statement, um, the the second thing is is based on a belief that. Uh, that the best we can, the best work that human beings do is achieved through collaboration. Um, and that's also not a belief that's deeply held everywhere. Like they're, they're uh, so depending on kind of, as we work with an organization, usually what we're trying to do is trying to triangulate like the care personally and the challenge directly. Like how, how much does this organization value care personally? So are, are we, is the job that is in front of us helping people realize the value and importance of caring personally, or is the, is the sort of obstacle for that organization around challenging directly? So that's one sort of assessment that we do. And then we'll adjust our approach accordingly. We'll put emphasis in different places according to that assessment. But the other thing that we look at is like, do these underlying beliefs exist and to what extent do they exist? Um, and a lot of the time, the answer to these things is some form of context and education, because when you break it down for people, they, you know, the, the term growth mindset might not resonate with people, especially if you've sort of, people have been yelling it at you, but you don't really understand what it is, but if you can put it into context, that helps. Um, and then this idea of collaboration, both of those things, what we do is we demonstrate, we find examples, we engage in story in organizational storytelling to tease out, Hey, you are actually 
either doing these things already or value these things already, but you may not understand the impact uh, or the implication of not investing systematically in building you know, either growth mindset or the ability to care personally or challenge directly. That makes a ton of sense. I was wondering, speaking of storytelling, do you, do you have an example either for your own life or some in terms of how radical candor has really impacted your own life or something maybe you've worked with a client on just to give people a bit of a feel for a, a specific way this has landed? Sure. I, I mean, I, I've received a lot of radically candid feedback over the course of my career. The story I tell most frequently is about how I have this habit of um, my my face does not always uh, my facial expressions don't always agree with what's going on inside my head, um, and I had this experience where I was preparing for a fairly big presentation in the context uh, at, at Khan Academy. So it was a board presentation, and I was super nervous about it. So I I actually one of the people who I was working with was like, oh, like I can take the lead on this. And I was so grateful to them. And they said, look, all I need you to do is when we get in there, just like support me. Um, like, you know, this stuff inside and out, but I'll just take the lead on the presentation part. So we get in there, like it goes really well. I walk out and I'm like, oh man, like that was so great. I'm super excited. And they came over and they were like, hey, how, you know, how do you think that conversation went? And I was like, oh, I was great. And they were like, oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that because like I looked over at you several times. You look pissed off. <laughs> like I thought I was completely screwing it up and you were mad at me. Um, uh, and, and that set off this sort of chain reaction in my career where I was, at first I was like sort of unwilling to accept the feedback. I was like, ah, oh, it seems ridiculous. But I went and asked my team about it. My team was like, oh yeah, that, that, that happens all the time. We call it your thinking face. And so I was like, okay, good. Like not only did it happen before, but my team has a name, a name for it. Uh, and then I did the thing that we all love to do when we get feedback at work that we don't like is I came home and I complained to my partner, Jillian, about it. And I was like, can you believe what they said to me at work? And she just busted out laughing. She's like, every time you do something that it requires your full concentration, it looks like you're in physical pain. And so it was like at that point where like 15 people had given me the same feedback in 24 hours that I realized like, oh, like this is probably important. I should pay attention to it. And I think the biggest moment, aha moment for me when I read Radical Candor was realizing not only how important that particular piece of feedback was, but how many other people had tried and failed to deliver it to me. And so that got me thinking about the context, like why it worked. And it worked because I knew this person had my back. I knew they wanted me to be successful. And they they started by checking to see how I was doing in that conversation because they were like worried about me uh, and how I felt about their performance. And I realized that they only had my best interest at heart by by telling me about it. Um, and so even though it was hard to hear, it, it really did stand me in good stead and maybe more effective. Like many years later, I tell this story to my team and it's still really helpful because I don't have full control over this. And so now my team knows like, hey, Jason's making his thinking face and that doesn't necessarily mean that he hates what you're saying. He might actually be, be feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your, your answer, Jason, because uh, I finally have put a, a name to what I do thinking face. I do the same thing. Yeah. I scare people. And I'm like, no, I'm really nice. I'm just concentrating. But they're like, no, you should look at yourself. So I know exactly yeah. what you mean, but I have a question yeah. for you. I, I think I may have had radical candor in one of my undergrad classes yesterday. I just want to see if, 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 uh, if I stumbled yeah. on it by mistake yesterday. Yeah. So uh, again, like I mentioned, we have 150 different countries represented and 
And I have created a culture that I call family, where I'm like, you know, we we take care of each other. Uh, we love each other. We might not like each other on a daily basis, but we are always yeah. going to be there for each other. And I said, um, you know, we had this new undergrad program. I'm teaching them how to do startups in seven weeks. We're halfway through and it's clunky and glitchy and there's some problems. And I said, I want to do a Mentimeter, which is, you know, anonymous polling of word clouds and really find out what you know, what you're feeling, but you need to feel yeah. psychologically safe. And I need to hear the bad stuff. I can only help you if I know exactly what's going on. And so yeah. they did. And they had this real problem with accounting quizzes. And this woman raised her hand and she said, they really should be changed because we're just cheating. Mm. And mm. my first reaction was, thank you so much for like raising your hand and feeling safe enough to say that, you know, and I'm not going to get her in trouble, but I yeah. thought that's actually really good information to go back to the administration yeah. and say, this is not working at all if they're cheating. I mean, we really yeah. do have to change it. But we, was that radical candor what we had? I mean, I think it was very, I think it was very brave. And from my perspective, it's radical candor if you feel like it's radical candor. Because like one of the tenets of radical candor is that it's not measured at my mouth, it's measured at your ear. Um, so you, you get to say, and in the context that you gave me just now, I would say that sounds like radical candor because you said, help me. The way that you can help me is by giving me the, giving me real talk right now. Like that is the, the, the gift that you can give me. And this person very bravely offered you that gift. So I, I would say that sounds like an example of radical candor to me. Um, I don't know. How do you feel, uh, about it? I, I that's, I, I feel like it fits and, and I loved it. I, I walked out of there so thrilled that they felt safe enough to tell me what was really going on and it was really helpful to make it better. So I was just thrilled that, uh, that we yep. had the conversation. Yep. That's so good. Well, Jason, thank you. Just to wrap us up, I was wondering if you could leave us with, maybe tell us a question we should have been asking you <laughs> that, we, that we didn't, or any like last words of advice or wisdom for people who are interested in this topic? Yeah, I, I think the, the question that I get is like, so where do I start? Like, where, like how... So I like a lot of people are like, yeah, it sounds great. Care personally, love and truth. Like it all sounds good. Like where, where do I start? And so I want to come back to this idea of the order of operations and recommend that everybody recognize that if you want to build more radically candid relationships, there is an order that we recommend that you go through. And that starts with soliciting input, feedback from other people. So Michael, your example of what you, that's a good example of like, you start by soliciting, you start by soliciting feedback. Then you want to offer uh, input. You want to offer guidance to other uh, other people once you've solicited guidance from them, um, and that should be both praise and critical guidance. It's really important to remember that when we say guidance or feedback, we're not just talking about criticism. And in fact, in uh, as you all know very well, the if the ratio of positive guidance to um, uh, to critical guidance is not at least greater than one. Like there's a lot of debate, like where, how much greater than one it should be. But if it's not at least greater than one, you're probably um, building up some uh, emotional or relationship debt uh, because people are going to feel over, over criticized. And it's ineffective because people can't fix more than one thing at a time anyway. So you peppering someone with a bunch of critical feedback is not really helping them. 
And then your job is not done, right? Uh, you, you need to actually measure how your feedback is landing. And again, both praise and criticism. Because often when people are so unused to receiving praise that I often get brushed off. Like I'll say, hey, you did this really important thing and I want to reinforce that for you, encourage you to do it again. And I'll get, oh, it was a team effort and really everybody contributed. I'm like, no, no, look, look at me. <laughs> I am saying this is important. I want you to do more of this. Um, yeah. And then last but not least, we want you to encourage other people to do it. So like uh, once you have started this practice, you know, tell your stories to encourage other people mm -hmm. to participate. Um, so if you have a team and you're looking to get started, that's how I would go. That's awesome. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Jason. Thank you so much for your time today. So grateful for, for your uh, wonderful, really important work. So thank you. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon. Thank you.